All right, um, I'm still Marie, I'm a compulsive overeater. And uh, I'm gonna cover fear today in our inventory process. And uh, the way that I do my fourth step is um, my fears are already done for me. I, f I find them in my third column. You know, my, my sponsor was real clear. She's like, you know, Marie, you don't always have a start. What's your character? What's your character? What's driving you? And that was so helpful for me because like Kim said earlier, sometimes if I have a part, that means like, oh, by default, you have a part. But I can't look at yours, I can only look at mine. But I wanna look at yours, right? But what if I can look at it from an entirely different angle, right? And I can see that now I am driven the evil and corroding thread. So let's go to 67. And we're gonna notice that the word fear is bracketed alongside all of the difficulties that are happening in the example in, in the big book. And it says this short word somehow touches about every aspect of our lives. It is the evil and corroding thread. The fabric of my existence was shot through with it. That means my very makeup. She would say, what's your character? What's your makeup? What's driving you? What's the fear? And, I w and thank God for good sponsorship. You know, to not sit in resentment to actually know the mechanics of how to break this down so I can be free. I don't want to sit in a poopy diaper anymore. I have very little tolerance for it. Thank God, thank God. I wanna be free. I like this way of living. So I am constantly scanning myself. And like I said, this is step four, but I use it every day in my step 10. Ray, what are you scared of? What are you, what are you feared up about? And the fear um, inventory that I was taught really is universal. It really is universal for me. It's not anything, there's no boogeyman. There's no unknown fear. I know what the fear spiral is and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of cover that today. So it's, it's, I'm shot through with fear. It sets in motion trains of circumstances which bring me misfortune that I feel I don't deserve. So it's gonna set the resentment in motion. It's the, it's, the, it's the core of the resentment. But didn't I set the ball rolling? Sometimes we think fear ought to be classed as stealing. It seems to cause more trouble. So the directions for fear inventory are here on page 68. It says, we reviewed our fears thoroughly. We put them on paper, even though we had no resentment in connection with them. So I've got some fears that are in connection to my resentment that I have a list of already did it in my, in my resentment column, but now I'm gonna look for some extra fear. You know, maybe obvious fears, like fear of financial insecurity or fear of heights or fear of intimacy, right? And I'm gonna ask myself why I have them. So this is another uh, column thing. Here's the fear, this is why I have it. And I ask myself why I have them. Wasn't it because self-reliance failed us? I love that because I don't know what that means yet. Self-reliance fails me until I do the, the actual fear inventory and I have an experience with it. See, everything is theory until you actually do it and it becomes real for you. So um, self-reliance was good as far as it went, but it didn't go far enough. And I can see that all over my life. I am a woman that likes to make some shit happen and I can do it. I've got some talent, some God-given talent, but I always mutate it, always. So I can make some stuff happen, but it's always mutated and, uh, and ruined in some way. I can't explain that, but it's good as far as it goes. It doesn't go far enough. 
Some of us once had great self-confidence, but it didn't fully solve the fear problem or any other. When it made us cocky, it was worse. Anybody else get cocky when they get feared up? I don't get feared up. Usually, it's, it's going to be fight for me. It's not flight. <laughs> I'll stand there and I'll stand my ground and prove to you I'm not afraid. Right? And it makes it worse. Why? Because then I'm really in collision with people. Really, really in collision. So the secret to life for me is in this paragraph. Sometimes this is my fear prayer. I recite this. If I'm feared up, I have found myself in the shower just reciting this paragraph over and over again. Perhaps there is a better way. We think so. I'm looking for a better way. And they think there's a better way. Let me try it. Maybe it is, right? Theory until you try it, and then it becomes, yeah, this is a better way. I like this. It says, we are now on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. So now we're going back to step two and three. Do I really truly believe that there is a God, that there's something bigger than me, and that he's got this, that that power has got this? Or am I temporarily agnostic? Do I have a push God to the background? And now it's Maria running the show again. Maria trying to figure out how I can work this out. Maria trying to figure this out. You know, me, self-reliance, me reliance. It's proven over and over again that this is a really big cause of my problems. So you think that I would give that up? But fear is just as natural as anger. I'm a human being. I'm going to get feared up. So I'm not on the basis at that moment. I'm not, I get off the basis. And my job is to be on the basis. I get off, I get back on. It's like soccer. I get kicked out of play, somebody throws me back into play. Just throw me back into play, right? And this is, this is how I do it. If I'm angry, I have my, my uh, resentment prayer, my sick man prayer. And that gets me compassion and mercy for the other person. This is telling me there's a better way for fear. Some people, uh, I've heard people say that this book could be entitled Mastering Resentments and Overcoming Fear because basically that's what I'm doing every day, all day long. It's that simple, right? So how do I overcome this fear? It says, we trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. But first I have to say I'm finite. Mm. If I don't believe I'm finite, right, and I have these ideas like, oh, to the rescue, not only in my life, but I can fix you too, I can help you too, oh my gosh. So step four helps me see that. I am finite. It says, we are in the world to play the role that he assigns. No more am I the director. In step three, I'm constantly, all steps lead back to step three. I'm constantly being shown, are you the director or the actor? Are you in position or did you get out of position? And my position is very clear. I'm the actor waiting for my cue to be called. I am the worker working for God all the time, not working for myself, not out there, you know, promoting me. I'm out there promoting God. And am I the, uh, the agent, right? Well, I don't want to make anything up, so let me just go back here. So God is going to be our director. He is the principal. I am the agent. He is the father. I am the child. Meaning, is my supply coming from my father, my heavenly father, or am I trying to come up with supply? Right? It's kind of like, you know, God's cause and I'm effect. How am I going to come up with, you know, the supply? 
I've got to rely on something greater than me because I am finite. If I don't believe I'm finite, I'm going to pick up that role and I get out of position and I get, get have to get kicked back into play. Um, just to the extent that we do as we think that he would have us be and humbly rely on him, does he enable us to match calamity with serenity? And that makes me automatically get my shoulders go down. I can breathe. I get unblocked. I can feel myself. I can feel the power in and through because I know it's here and I can identify the fear and it all leads to the same place. And that place is, wasn't it because self-reliance failed me? Mm -hmm. I have become agnostic temporarily and I'm acting on my own will. No wonder I'm afraid. I should be afraid. <laughs> so we never apologize to anybody for depending upon our creator. Um, I love that. You know, I, I, I never apologize for, for this better way of life, this way of living. I've got a, a clear-cut, um, very simple way of living now, and it keeps me in line. Um, it keeps me on the basis, on the basis. So your fear prayer is uh, down at the bottom, 168. It says, one of the best lines in the book, it says, it says, we ask, it says, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. Am I a hollow bone, Mark Houston says. Mm. Am I a hollow bone or am I full of self? Am I out to be God's worker today, his puppet? Let just show me who, where to go, who to speak to, what to say. Or am I coming up with the plans and the designs, right? I've got to let that go. And then he can demonstrate through me. Wow, that's pretty cool. Because God's power is way greater than mine. So the demonstration is I can't purposely go out and be a good girl, but I can let God demonstrate through me what that looks like if I can get rid of the resentment and the fear and the things that block me. The prayer is, I ask him, God, please remove my fear, direct my attention to what you would have me be, not do, because I'm a big doer. I always think I know what to do, but be. What does he want me to be? There's no question. I go back up to my, my, my secret to life. He wants me to be trusting and reliant. How simple is that? I don't have to make up a scenario of what God wants me to be. Because that's playing God. Mm. Oh, he wants me to be courageous. He wants me to be, well, how do I know what he wants me to be? The best thing that's ever happened to me is I've seen my character defects work for other people. That's really cool. That's a really amazing thing. And when you see that, it's like, wow, I got new labels. I don't know what's good and bad. I have no idea anymore. God's going to demonstrate to me what he wants me to be. And hopefully it's the work of helping somebody else. It has to do with me. I'm on the wrong path. So at once I commence to outgrow fear. At once I commence to outgrow it. Doesn't mean I get over it and I'm never afraid again, but I outgrow it because I don't need it anymore. It's not useful to me. I see where it's coming from. It is a trail. It's a human nature trail. It usually starts at one, sp uh, one spot, but it can come in any, in any one of these layers of fear but it always ends at the same place, which the big book says self-reliance fails me. Mm -hmm. So no wonder I'm, I'm afraid I should be afraid. So it looks like this, I'm not good enough. Usually starts there for me. I'm not good enough in some way, shape or form, right? If I'm not good enough, I may be unwanted 
People won't want to be around me. And if I'm wanted, I fear being alone. I fear being alone a lot. Uh, this period of, of abstinence and sobriety for me has been one of constant removal of people that I think I need. Animals, my kid, my siblings, and guess what? I'm still here. I don't have to fear being alone anymore. I'm never alone. And God always sends these people to me that are miraculous. When I think I need this person, there's somebody right here. Why can't I see them? They're so much more effective in this moment, and God knows it, but I want this one over here. He should be here for me. What a resentment that I had for a year, right? Dangerous. My husband had, had heart surgery, and the brother that I so took care of wasn't there for me. But guess what? God sent other people, and they were much more effective. I can let that resentment go today. So I, I fear being alone. Why do I fear being alone? Because if I'm alone, I'll be in emotional pain. Why do I fear emotional pain? Because what happens when I'm in emotional pain? All Maria wants is ease and comfort. And I will use one of my many, many symptoms, food, alcohol, shopping, sex, whatever. I've no, been known to have a nice big bag of tricks. It's not just food for me. And when I am in emotional pain, I fear that if I sit in emotional pain long enough, I'm going to drink again, eat again, shop again. I'm going to do something to harm myself. Why do I fear drinking or eating? Because to drink is to die. To eat is to die. I die off spiritually. I'm blocked again. I can't, I can't stand being blocked. I don't have the tolerance for it anymore. So why do I fear dying? and living in food. Why do I fear that? Oh my God. Because it's the unknown. I don't know what's going to happen, who I'm going to ruin, what I'm going to ruin, who, who I'm going to not be able to help because I'm so selfish that I, I'm blocked again, right? <clears throat> so I fear the unknown, and when I fear the unknown, somebody's got to be in charge. And if it's not God, because I doubt the power I become temporarily agnostic, it's me. I gotta be in charge. Or my favorite victim, my husband. He'll take care of it. I get tired, I don't wanna be in charge anymore. Let me let him take care of it. But he sucks, he's human. And then I go, you don't know what you're doing, give me that back, and then I take the role again. And it's this constant, you know, artificial source of power. I'm using myself, I'm using somebody else, I'm using something when I'm not going to the real the real plug-in, the real source. Perhaps there's a better way, right? So I fear that there's no God, so somebody better in be in charge, and it's usually me, which means self-reliance fails me, I'm setting myself up for disaster, or human aid will fail me. Why do I put my husband in charge, this poor man? Why? Why would I put my sponsor in charge? Why would I put a meeting in charge? This is all human aid, so I've got to realize that, yeah, perhaps there's a better way. Because this self-reliance and this human aid reliance is not working. And uh, I commence at once to outgrow fear because I can see, oh yeah, Maria, there goes your thing. You're afraid. Your prestige is not what you think it should be. So you're afraid that people aren't going to think highly of you. There goes my I'm not good enough fear. Or I'm sitting here by myself. I just moved. I don't have a network. 
I don't ha I haven't been in the book for a while. What if I'm not in the step work and I eat again or drink again? Fear. Why? I'm alone. I fear being alone. Let me go find somebody. Go to a meeting. Get in action. <coughs> right? So what what am I trusting and depending on? This fear inventory is huge for me because it is the e the evil and corroding thread, so I can find a lot of information, a lot of fixed ideas here too. And in step two, go back and read We Agnostics and come at it from a different angle. Mm -hmm. It's not about my fixed ideas about religion. Now it's my fixed ideas about everything. Everything. What am I doing? From the time I wake up, I got a fixed idea about you know what I'm gonna have for breakfast. Right? Question everything. I don't have to put them, throw them away. I set them aside question my thoughts, I question my fears, I question my resentments and my character, and if it's true, I can pick them back up again, those ideas, but if they don't work, why would I want to carry them around with me? Baggage. And that's what it's about. Fearless and thorough, get rid of it, fact-finding, fact-facing, there's no reason to have it, it's just me with a big backpack of rocks <laughs> weighing me down, right? So don't be afraid of the fourth step. A lot of people are afraid of the fourth step, they're afraid of what they're going to find, I love it. I love every day scanning, Maria, what are you afraid of? Right? I know if I'm restless, irritable, or discontent, that I, something's wrong with the force. There's a disturbance in the force. I've got to look at it. Something's going on. What is it? What are you scared of? What are you afraid of? I say my fear prayer. Who's pissing you off? I find compassion and mercy. Right? Sometimes you know, I gotta pick up the phone and do a fifth step with somebody in my 10th step, right? Every day, and we'll cover five, but sometimes I can't get there on my own, and that's why this program is a we program, and I've got these beautiful women that I can, I can talk through stuff with. And it's not a bitch session. We <coughs> do this. We talk, what are you afraid of? Where's your selfishness? Where's your fear? What story are you telling yourself? You ask God to show you the truth, right? And we do that together, so. That's all I have for fear. Mm, good stuff. Okay, I'm still Kim, recover compulsive overeater, and I just want to make a couple comments. Um, I love listening to Maria talk about fear. There's a saying, it's not from the big book, but it says that fear is a sure sign you're relying on your own power. So that to me is, is where I get it. I get into that, and I I love like one of me and Maria's AA mentors. I think it was one of the first meetings I went to with him. He had said in the beginning of the meeting that the big book meets you where you are and elevates you from there. So that's why I love the fact that every time I go into this work, I'm having a new I'm having a new experience with the work. So this line demonstrate through us. I mean, like that hollow bone that Mark Houston talks about. One of the ways I've personalized this for me is um, another spiritual teacher, not um, uh, not twelve step based, but she talks about that I am the faucet and God is the water. So my job is to keep myself un unclogged so that water can flow through me. So one of the things I do at night with my 11th step, and um, I, I have an old house and I've had a lot of um, plumbing issues, and one of the reasons is my, the pitch of my plumbing in the basement isn't that great. So one of the things they suggested to me is once a week, take a big thing of boiling water and pour it down each of the different drains to keep the pipe clear. So every night what I do is I make a big thing of water and I make myself a cup of tea and I pour the rest of the water down one of these pipes and then I sit down and I do my 11th step and I think okay I'm cleaning my household pipes and I'm cleaning my internal pipes because I God cannot demonstrate through me he cannot do for me what he cannot do through me is, is the bottom line um 
And the whole idea that, you know, we talk about this fearless inventory, there are a lot of fears coming up. We're talking about it. But what I find is the more I do this work, it's not that it's fearless, but I fear less. And that's what happens. I think sometimes people think if you're recovered, you don't have resentments, you don't have fears, you don't have relationship issues. The difference is I have those because I'm human. I don't have to stay there anymore. I have a way out. But it doesn't exempt me from being human where these things are going to crop up. Um, so now we're going to go into the sex conduct inventory. It's called sex conduct. It's not about sex. This is not a list of everyone that you've slept with. And if you haven't slept with anyone, it doesn't mean you don't have a sex conduct um, inventory. So the way I think about it is how do I interact in relationships with attraction? Whatever that means to you. Doesn't mean that it was a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Doesn't mean if it's heterosexual or homosexual. It's any relationship that includes attraction. And the introduction talks about it. It doesn't matter if you're swinging from the chandeliers or you're only doing missionary position. This is not about the type of type of a relationship you have because we're not going to be the arbiter of anyone's sex conduct. This is not about you aligning with your higher with your your parents' thought or your religion thinks or what your sponsor thinks. It's how can you have a relationship with your higher power and how that manifests in, the, in, in your other relationships. So we're going to treat sex like any other problem. So if we go to the chart, the first thing is going to be, whom did I hurt? So I want you to think more globally about that. I, I, the example that I would use for myself is I hurt a lot of girlfriends because, see, I was morbidly obese and I didn't even go on a date until I was 26. So I didn't know what to, how to deal with men. So I would flirt with my friends' husbands and their boyfriends because it felt safe because I knew nothing was going to happen. That was really disrespectful to my girlfriends. So are you at, maybe at a job and you don't have interest in a guy, but he has interest in you and you kind of use that in order to get him to do work for you? Or maybe you're interested in a guy or, or a girl and you're, they're not interested in you, so you punish them and you talk behind their back? You know, if you're in a relationship, are you using sex as a reward or as a punishment? So we want to try to get more global. How do we interact with that? Now we had, we talked about the sick man's prayer. We talked about the fear prayer. Well, there are three prayers in the sex conduct because relationships are difficult. Relationships are challenging. It involves another person. So the first column is whom did I hurt? The second column is where was I selfish, dishonest, and inconsiderate? So once again, we're not going to write a long story. It's just simply bullet points. How did I act in this relationship? You know, put it to the test. Was it selfish or not? And then the third column is, did I unjustifiably arouse suspicion, bitterness, or jealousy? And to me, it's just an acknowledgement. Did I do it? Not to go into the drama of how it happened and why they were at fault more than I was at fault. Da -da -da. No. Did I arouse it? Abs yes or no. Did I arouse jealousy? Yes or no. Did I arouse suspicion? Yes or no. And did I arouse bitterness? Yes or no. And then after we do that, we're going to go into these prayers to ask God into what our relationship should look like in the future. So the first one on page 69, um, it's the second full column, second full paragraph. It says, we subjected each relation to this test. Was it selfish or not? We ask God to mold our ideals and help us live up to them. Well, when I first did this, it was pretty darn easy because he's got to be over six feet tall. He's got to have blonde hair. He's got to have blue eyes, and he's got to have a, a, like a little like surfer dude kind of build about him. <laughs> and what I was taught was this is not about what kind of boyfriend I want. What kind of girlfriend do I want to be? What is my ideal in a relationship? Because just think about it logically. If I become the woman I want to be in a relationship, that man's going to be attracted to me. 
if I still say this self-centered, fearful woman, I'm going to attract some sick people. I remember a sponsor saying to me, because I was saying I was dating all these losers, and she said to me, Kim, the problem isn't that the losers are asking you out. The problem is you're saying yes when they do. And I had to see that, that I was afraid of helping them. So I'm asking what the ideals, and I'm just going to sk skip ahead, because the way that I approach this, four through nine is simply a skill set. It doesn't have depth and weight until we apply it in 10 and 11. And when I get into 10 and 11, these are relationship prayers. And I start to create ideals for all parts of my life. So not who do I want my mother to be, what kind of daughter do I want to be? Not who I want my employer to be, what kind of employee do I want to be? Not how I want my home group to act, but who do I want to be as a home group member? And I start to ask God into those ideals. The second prayer is in the next paragraph, towards the end, in meditation. We ask God what we should do about each specific matter because relationships change. I've never been married, so I'm going to use Maria as a, as a <laughs> example. But Maria's relationship when she was dating her husband was different when they were newlyweds, which was different when they were five years married, which was different when they were parents, and her son just went off to, uh, to the Air Force. So her relationship with her husband has changed now in the empty nest. So each specific matter... As our relationships change, we're going to ask God into how we behave in each specific matter. And then if we go into page 70, the second full paragraph, it says to sum it up about sex, we earnestly pray for the right ideal, for guidance in each questionable situation, for strength, for sanity and the strength to do the right thing. So we're going to ask, then we're going to meditate, and then we're going to earnestly pray. And what happens when we're not getting answers? The big book is so freaking consistent. Does it say go to 90 meetings in 90 days? Does it say call your sponsor? Does it say, say you know, affirmations? <laughs> no. It says if sex is really troublesome, we throw ourselves harder into helping others. We think of their needs and work for them. This takes us out of ourselves. It quiets the imperious urge when to yield would mean heartache. Because what was I told in step three? My problem is I'm selfish and self-centered. In the third step prayer, I'm asking for freedom from the bondage of self. What's the best, what's the only time I'm not thinking about me? When I'm thinking about you. That's the answer over and over again. I so many, this is getting off topic, but I so get nervous for people when they, when they call me and they tell me about these difficult things that are going on. And the first thing they tell me is, you know, I need to stop sponsoring. I need, I need to spend some time with me. I need self-care. Think about society. I need self-help, self-care. What does step three tell me? My problem is self. My alarm bells go off when society tells me I have to think of me because when I follow society rules, I wound up crawling into a 12-step program. I need to get out of me. So I look at these relationships. How can I be useful to these other relationships? How can I be useful at my job? How can I be useful with my mom? How can I be useful with, with my brothers? And those ideals come, and it's amazing to me that when I change and when I invite God in, people start changing. And you know what? Sometimes I don't even think they change. It's just my view of them changes. I ask to see through God's eyes, not through my eyes. So then after we've had those prayers, we go to that last column, where, which is, what should I have done instead? Because I saw for myself in my first inventory, after not dating, after not dating until I was 26, and I became bulimic. This is not through recovery. I was bulimic. And I knew I could only keep this up for so amount of time. So I was dating like crazy because I knew I was going to gain the weight back. 
So when I did my inventory the first time, I had actually dated five Kevins in a row. <laughs> and in between was a Kelvin. <laughs> and I have to tell you, I had to number them. But honestly, they were all the same guy. I was so frightened and I was so needy that I would track these sick men and they all were the same guy. I was, it was this, in Cherry Hill, they had that American Cowboy Company, and I, they were all needy guys who were far away from their families, so that could be the center of the world. So they would all put all their attention on me, and then I would get mad because they were so controlling. I would create the, 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 the I would create these sick relationships. So how can I be, as a woman, not have that happen? So now I'm going to go to the top of page 70, and I'm going to talk a little bit more globally as we're finishing up this fourth step. So it says here, suppose we fall short of the chosen ideal and stumble. Does this mean we're going to get drunk? Some people tell us so, but this is only a half-truth. It depends on us and our motives. If we are sorry for what we have done and have the honest desire to let God take us better things, we believe we'll be forgiven and we have learned our lesson. If we are not sorry and our conduct continues to harm others, we are quite sure to drink. We are not theorizing. These are facts out of our experience. So that is a warning. So the warning to is you can do a four through nine, but it's not going to have any permanence unless you implement it in 10 and 11. And those things that you learn in four through nine, if you disregard them, one of my big problems was gossip. Does that mean I haven't gossiped since I've been recovered? Hell no. I've gossiped. But what happens is when I do that, I immediately lean into step 10 and 11. I clean up the records that I did, and I move forward. But I'm also convinced if I said, screw it, my company deserves this gossip, they're going to screw me over. Everyone in my office is justifiably angry, which we talked about. They are not addicts. They can sit in that justifiable anger. I can't. And if I decide, screw it, they deserve it, will I eat again? Absolutely. Because I cannot stay comfortably abstinent if I'm not working these steps. And I'm going to differ. Maria said something again. I'm going I'm to say it a little bit differently. She said you can't get abstinent with the spiritual. I can get abstinent without the spiritual. I was abstinent in LA for six years. I mean, I was, a, was an angry, angry woman. I can get abstinent without spirituality. My problem is I can't be contently abstinent without spirituality. I have to put the food down first, and that sucks. And if I don't get into this step work, I'm not going to be contently abstinent, which means I'm going to go back. So the spiritual is what allows me to stay abstinent contently. If I don't do the spiritual work, I might be abstinent for a while. I might coast a little bit. But then I'm going to default back to restless, irritable discontent, and I will eat again. So let's get to the bottom of page 70. And it's, I call them the four steps on promises. And I just, once again, I compared this to what I did when I was doing inventories that were different methods. So if we've been thorough about our personal inventory, we've written down a lot. So once again, this is not a contest. What I think of as thorough is, is have I followed the instructions? Have I done all the columns? Have I been, you know, have I, have I done what was, ex what was being asked of me? We have begun to comprehend the futility and fatality. I'm starting to see, like I said, I'm living in the 80s. I'm living in the 90s. I'm not, there's a, there's a spiritual concept called the jail and the jailer. And the jail is where someone who is guilty is in there. And I'm going to make sure that person is in there. That's what my resentment is, my anger, my fear. They are wrong and I'm going to prove it. But I'm the jailer sitting outside the jail. Who's more attached to the jail? The person who's inside or the person who's guarding it? And what I found often when I started doing my amends is I was guarding an empty jail. Because that person who ran around in my head because of what they did to me when I was 19, 20, 21 years old had 
no idea what I'm talking about. So I'm seeing the futility and fatality that I am taking the poison and expecting other people to die. We have begun, we have, we have been commenced to see their terrible destructiveness. I am seeing how I am punishing a current boyfriend for what someone did to me 20 years ago. We have, um, we have begun to learn tolerance, patience, and goodwill towards all men, even our enemies, for we look at them as sick people. That resentment, those sick man's prayer, those fear prayers, those, those um, relationship prayers, I'm starting to realize how I've hurt other people, and I want to go and make that right. We have lifted the people we have hurt by our conduct, and we are willing to straighten them out the past if we can. This was not the promises I got when I did inventories that were autobiographies. Like I said, I became more invested in my resentments, more invested in my fears, more invested in my sex conduct, which what happened is led to more eating. But in this book, you read again and again that faith did for us what we could not do for ourselves. We hope that you are convinced now that God can remove whatever self-will has blocked you off from him, not me. This is not about me using self-will to overcome self-will. <laughs> but I'm being convinced by my story that God can remove it. If you've already made a decision, step three, and an inventory of your grosser handicaps, this is not about remembering every minutia of my life. If I don't put something on my fourth step, it doesn't mean that this step work's not going to work. If I purposely don't put something on there, I am, I am delaying it. But these are my grosser handicaps. I am seeing patterns, and 10 and 11 is where I fine-tune that. If we made a good beginning, we've begun to swallow and digest some big chunks of truth about yourself. So this is just for me. This is not the big book. One of the things that I find is helpful because of all the prejudices I think exist in a lot of fourth steps, is when I start the directions with my sponsees, we make an appointment for the fifth step. Because this is uncomfortable. I don't want them to think that this is going to take a long time. I, they know they're going to have to sit in this amount of comfort. For me personally, it's seven to 10 days. That poopy diaper sucks. And once again, for me personally, again, I'm a Catholic school kid, I could always give up chocolate for the six weeks of Lent because I knew the Easter basket would be there on Easter morning. I, I, I promise my sponsees and what this book promises me, if I go through this as uncomfortable as it is, when I get to 10 and 11, I'm going to have neutrality around food. The miracle of Overeaters Anonymous and the 12 steps is not that I'm going to be strong enough to one day at a time white knuckle my food and go to bed exhausted. The promise of Overeaters Anonymous and the 12 steps is I get to 10 and 11 and I'm not going to want those foods anymore. And there's a price to be paid for that, and that is to be uncomfortable while going through the process. And the other prejudice, which I'm going to just start with Maria, is reinforced, is I thought I did inventories because I did a lot of writing. The inventory is an inventory process, four through nine. I had never done an inventory because I had never done four through nine. I basically kept a diary to make sure that the people who hurt me would have a documentation if I died so that people would know what they did. <laughs> so now we're going to move on to step five, unless you want to add anything to the um, sex conduct. I, I just, I, I love the, these promises at the end and how they're like a checklist. You know, it's telling mm -hmm. me what, I, what is my job here? Did, have I been thorough? Have I been fearless? And I'm, I'm ready to move on. Um, if I, and Kim touched about this a little bit, if I, if I don't have everything on there, I've got the rest of my life in step 10 to discover and, dis and disclose more things 
So it's not, you know, a lot of people will be like, oh, I can never do this perfectly, so I'm not going to do it at all. That's a little bit of my thinking. The all or nothing thinking of, of the alcoholic is priceless. But, <laughs> you know, I, I just have to know that for now, and I'm praying with expectation, God, show me what I need to see for now. I think it's merciful. I think it's not going to be so so life-threatening to me that it's going to, you know, put me into a, some kind of trauma. I already am walking around with all this stuff. I already know what it is. I need to just get rid of it, right? I don't have to be afraid of it. And guess what? The pattern, oh my gosh, the pattern over and over and over again, the fixed thinking over and over and over again, I could write another 10 step today, say I get really angry and I need to take pen to paper, guess what I'm writing? The same damn thing I wrote in the fourth step that I did five years ago. Same thing. Who I am, I take with me wherever I go. Sometimes it looks a little different, but my motives are the same. I know what my character is. So when I see it today, I'm not so surprised. Why would I be surprised? This is who I am. And, and, and there's a way out of that. I can become a little bit better every day, but I can't be afraid of those character defects. My job is to find them. This is where I find them. That third column, I find a lot of character defects. That fourth column, I find more, and then I find al also how I hurt you. And how I hurt people five years ago is the same way I hurt people today. You know? I'm a meddler. So, <laughs> you know, playing God in others' lives a lot. So um, I, I love this step. I, and, and like I said earlier, I just want to reiterate that this is part of my 10 steps. What we're going to go through in step five today. A lot of this stuff, it's, 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 there's lots of warnings in here. And are we stopping this before five? Maybe we should. Okay.